good morning to each of you, and happy Happy Mother's Day to all the uh, all the mothers. Uh, what I'm going to share this morning has several sources of inspiration. The fact that today is Mother's Day isn't one of them, um, so you won't you won't be hearing anything about Mother's Day um, for better or or for worse. But Happy Mother's Day, I will say that. I couldn't remember if there was a whiteboard here or not. Um, if, if there was, I would have written down a definition for you. Uh, there's a word I'm going to be using um, kind of over and over again throughout the course of this. Um, the word is typify, spelled T-Y-P-I-F-I-I-F-Y. It means to represent or symbolize, to be characteristic of or a representative example of. Again, typify means to represent or symbolize. So inspiration for what I'm going to share, uh, first of all, um, I give credit to the Holy Spirit. I thank Him for His leading. And um, another source has been specifically inspired by our Sunday School lesson schedule this year, um, starting, at, I think, towards the beginning of the year, the schedule that Milo had created. I've really enjoyed going through Genesis, and now we're into Exodus. Um, and I really, I, I'm not really sure what started me thinking this way, but I, I really started seeing some of these Old Testament stories with a particular perspective that a lot of the lives of the men in the Old Testament, a lot of the situations, typified Jesus. Um, so I've really enjoyed that. I've really enjoyed studying the life of Joseph and the life, life of Moses now. Um, so that, that, that's one source of inspiration for what I'm going to share. Uh, another reason I'm going to share this, uh, several months ago, um, I was made aware of a situation, um, and I was really mentally struggling to process it. Uh, the situation doesn't have anything to do with anyone here at Bethel or at, or at Chapel. Um, most of you probably know nothing about it. It's, it was, it's a situation that um, occurred in my home area of Pennsylvania. Um, I was really struggling to mentally process it and trying to understand um, first how I, as a Christian, should be viewing this situation, how I should be reacting to it. And second of all, I, I could not could not understand or even attempt to understand how God viewed the situation. Um, and, and particularly the God of the Old Testament, it seemed like the God of the Old Testament would view the situation totally different than the Jesus of the New Testament. And I, I'll confess, I was really struggling with that. It was a very unsettling time for me. And um, I was trying to figure it out, and I, I couldn't. And the fact that I couldn't figure it out was unsettling. Um, so anyway, I believe God led me through some mental processing that uh, was very encouraging to me because of that situation in that time, and that is the third source of inspiration for what I'm going to share. So while I was uh, mentally struggling with this situation, um, I remember something in one of my classes that took years ago. One of the classes I was required to take at LU was... Christian life, evangelism and Christian life, it was called back then. I don't remember much from the course, but I do remember one thing my professor once said, and I, I will probably always remember it. 
he has counseled many Christians over the course of his life, and he was talking about how he counsels Christians that are struggling with some aspect of their faith. And something he said was, he often reminds struggling Christians to get back to the basics. Those were his words. Get back to the basics. Get back to the basics of your faith. And in particular, one of the basics of our faith is the revelation of God through his word, the Bible. And even more specifically, one aspect of that, one of, the, of that basics of our faith is the unity of God's word in the Bible. And this was a basic part of my faith that I needed to remind of during my uh, mental struggle. And basically what God reminded me of was that the Bible is God's written revelation to man, and there is great unity in the Bible in that Jesus is the focal point of God's revelation to mankind. We must never forget the Bible's big story. Specifically, it's important that we understand the whole Bible is about Jesus Christ, who he is and what he came to do. The Old Testament anticipates Jesus, and the New Testament reveals Jesus. Every book somehow contributes to the Bible's message of the Holy God saving mercy through Jesus Christ. So what I'm going to share with you um, in the next 20 minutes or so is a very brief um, survey study that I've been doing in the Old Testament um, and how the Old Testament points to Jesus and how the Old Testament is all, all unified in its main theme. And our Sunday School lesson has been contributing excellently to this, um, to the life of, of Joseph and recently Moses. So there are some practical reasons that the Bible should not be unified. If you think about it, the Bible has 66 different books. It, the Bible was began by one writer who died shortly after writing only five of the books. The rest of the authors lived in different times, countries, backgrounds, and locations. After the 39th book was written, over 400 years passed before any more writing took place. When the writing began again, there were eight new writers, and they wrote 27 additional books. And it was finally, the whole book was finally finished by around A.D. 95. So if you think about the, the logistics of how the Bible is written, it shouldn't be unified. Um, the Bible should be a total messy mix-up. But it's not. Um, and most importantly, the main theme... God's word is united in the main theme of Jesus Christ. And that, that was really encouraging to me to be reminded of that, and so I hope to encourage you by reminding you of that. So, uh, what I'm going to do is actually just go through every book of the Old Testament really briefly and uh, just highlight a couple key points of how the books in the Old Testament typify, uh, foreshadow, give prophecy of, and um, anticipate Jesus Christ coming in the New Testament. So in Genesis, Jesus uh, was there at creation. We have um, other passages in the Bible that 
indicate that Jesus was there. He is one with the Creator. And Justice Matt. I have a little bit of OCD, and any, any lines that don't, don't match up bother me, and I keep seeing that my mat angled differently than the, the podium here. So Jesus is one with the Creator. Um, in Genesis 3, we get the first prophecy of a promised Redeemer. Genesis 3 predicts that the seed of woman will crush the serpent Satan. Later in Genesis, there is a prophecy that the Messiah will be a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, in, in the life of Abraham, there are uh, some highlights that I want to bring to your attention. The first is when God asked Abraham to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Uh, this, this seems to directly typify what God did through Jesus, God the Father. Abraham placed God first by being willing, willing to sacrifice his only son. And God the Father loved us so much that he was willing to sacrifice his only son. Interestingly, both Isaac and Jesus uh, were specifically referred to as the special only son of their father. Isaac typified Jesus by being willing to do what his father instructed, even to the point of climbing onto the, the uh, altar of sacrifice. Jesus also obeyed his father even until death. Also, uh, interestingly, both Isaac and Jesus carried wood to their place of sacrifice. Genesis 22, 6 says that Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand, he took the fire and, sac and sacrificial knife, and the two of them walked on together. Similarly, Jesus carried his wooden cross up the hill to his crucifixion. At this point, the analogy changes a little bit. Um, in the case of Abraham and Isaac, God provided a ram as a substitute for Isaac. And so at that point, Isaac is no longer foreshadowing Christ, he's foreshadowing us. And a ram was substituted in his place in the same way Jesus was a perfect lamb that was substituted in our place in the sacrifice. Late, uh, actually, earlier um, in the book of Genesis, a man named Melchizedek foreshadowed Jesus as a high priest. Genesis four, in Genesis 14, um, you remember the story, Abram's nephew Lot had been in his family and all his belongings had been captured by these kings of Mesopotamia. And um, Abram went after the kings, fought them, rescued his, his, uh, his relatives, brought them back. And when he came back um, to his home, which was probably in the area of Jerusalem or somewhere, um, prior to Jerusalem actually existing, uh, Melchizedek, who at the time was the king of Salem, came out to meet him and he um, Genesis 14 says he brought out bread and wine, and he was considered a priest with the God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. So Melchizedek's role is sort of limited here. There's not a lot recorded about him, but it, it foreshadows Jesus being a high priest. In Psalm 110, which is a prophetic psalm of David, verse 4 says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. In Hebrews 6, 19 and 20, it says, We have this hope as an anchor 
For the soul, firm and secure, it enters in the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. There's a central theme that runs through the Bible that Jesus is the high priest in the order forever in the order of Melchizedek. Towards the end of Genesis, the life of Joseph typified Jesus. Uh, and we, we've all recently studied that um, in the first quarter of this year. So you, you, should, you probably know what I'm talking about. Some similarities, um, how, how the life of Joseph and Jesus were similar. Others conspired to kill them. Do you remember the brother whose idea it was to sell Joseph for pieces of silver? It was Judah. The disciple who portrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver was Judas. Both were falsely accused. Joseph was accused by Potiphar's wife. Jesus was falsely accused by the Jewish religious leaders. And um, one of the most important ways that the life of Joseph, Joseph, Joseph uh, foreshadowed Jesus, and it was one of the most, um, it was one of the things I appreciated most while studying Genesis, was the verse that says, "What God, what men intended for evil." God intended for good. God used Joseph to provide for Jacob's descendants, the future nation of Israel, and God, in the same way God used Jesus to provide deliverance for all mankind. Moving on to the book of Exodus, as we're uh, learning now in Sunday school, Jesus was al- is also typified in the life of Moses. Some similarities between their lives. When Moses was born, the ruler of the land, Pharaoh, ordered all that the Hebrew baby boys were to be killed. When Jesus was born, the ruler of the land, Herod, ordered that all the Hebrew boys in the Bethlehem vicinity were to be killed. The Egyptians oppressed the Israelites, and because of this oppression in Exodus 2, it says the children of Israel groaned because of their bondage. They cried out, and their cry came up to God because of their bondage. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So he sent a deliverer, Moses. Similarly, God, remembering his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, sent a deliverer, Jesus, to the nation of Israel first and to the whole world. As we talked about this very morning, the Passover um, typifies and foreshadows Jesus. The nation of Israel practiced the Passover regularly after after their escape from Egypt. Um, they, they practiced it both in remembering the first Passover and anticipating the future perfect sacrifice. We don't practice Passover anymore. We practice communion. We we, we look back to the first or to, to the perfect sacrifice, which was Jesus, the perfect Lamb. After escaping from Pharaoh through the Red Sea, there is a, uh, a very exciting thing that happens, and it's actually prophesied that something very similar will happen again in the future. I'm talking about the Song of Moses. In Exodus 15, right after they had escaped through the Red Sea, it says that Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God. 
and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. In Revelation 15, there's a prophecy that this song of Moses is going to happen in the future. Revelation 15 says, And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works. Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. I can imagine the Israelites just all singing together after they escaped to the Red Sea, and it's, uh, it's just kind of mind not me to think about how awesome a sight that would have been. But that's also a that also foreshadows how the saints are going to sing in the same way about their victory through Jesus in the future. When the Israelites are walking through the wilderness, they come to this rock of Horeb, and it's reported that there was no water for the Israelites nor their animals to drink. God told Moses to strike a rock, and the water came out, and it, uh, the Israelites and their animals drank. First Corinthians 10 says, I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate of the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Also in Exodus, the entire design and operation of the tabernacle um, was an example. Uh, it emulated Jesus, well, first the sinfulness of man and the need for a sacrifice, and Jesus and it foreshadowed the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus would make for man's sinfulness. And it also typified the high priestly role that Jesus performs today. Uh, that, that could there are books and books about how the tabernacle um, illustrates all these points. Moving on to the book of Leviticus. This book can be very tedious to read, but its content all has some meaning. The Jewish festivals, the Passover, atonement, the scapegoat, sacrifices, the high priest and his duties, it all serves purpose and is part of God's revelation to mankind about our sinfulness and the life and work of Christ as a solution, as the solution. In the book of Numbers, um, there are, uh, very similar to the book of Leviticus, there's a lot of foreshadowing in the way the Israelites did life, um, but there's one particular event that I want to highlight that's important. The bronze serpent which Moses raised up in the wilderness to save the people. Um, some people were being bitten by these poisonous snakes and um, Moses raised up the serpent and anyone who looked to the serpent was saved. In John 3, 14 and 15 it says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. In the book of Deuteronomy, um, there, there are prophecies or portrayals of Christ as a high priest and as a king. There is also some foreshadowing that Jesus would suffer capital punishment, but his, but his body would be taken off the cross and put in a tomb before nightfall, and he would not hang on the cross overnight. 
There's also a, a description in Deuteronomy of uh, the six cities of refuge, which was a place that a, uh, a person, if they accidentally murdered someone or unintentionally murdered someone, um, or maybe in self-defense killed someone, these people could go to these cities of refuge and they would be safe there from any avengers of the person that they killed. The six cities of refuge are a portrayal of the work of Christ and how anyone who runs to him um, for refuge, he will protect and restore. In the book of Joshua, Jesus was typified in the life of Joshua. Joshua leads the Israelites to the promised land in the same way Jesus is leading us to the eternal promised land. Joshua 5, there's this account. Now, when Joshua, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. It is believed that this man that Joshua interacted with was Jesus. In the book of Judges, the Israelite judges typified Jesus both as deliverers and judges of the Israelites. In the same way, Jesus is both the deliverer and the judge of the whole world. In the book of Ruth, Jesus, um, or first uh, through the work of, through the lives of Ruth and Boaz, the Davidic line uh, was, began, and um, Jesus would ultimately be a direct descendant of, of Ruth and Boaz. Boaz especially typified Jesus. Boaz was referred to as a kinsman redeemer of the time. He redeemed Ruth as a bride in the same way Jesus is the ultimate kinsman redeemer and is redeeming his bride, the church. The Hebrew word goel uh, is translated to our word kinsman redeemer. And the Hebrew laws regarding this goel, the purpose was to provide, the purpose of the goel was to provide a means by which jeopardized covenant blessings could be regained, even through uh, events like family crisis or death. So the, the kinsman redeemer, or the goel of the Old Testament, was uh, an example or a metaphor of God's grace and provision to the Israelites and foreshadowed God's grace and provision to uh, the New Testament forward. In the Old Testament, Yahweh was always acting as Goel to the Israelites. He was always redeeming them, always bringing them back to, to himself, even when they had strayed from him, as they did many times during the book of Judges and also the exiles. So the kinsman redeemer Boaz redeemed the line of Elimelech. Naomi's husband. But the kinsman redeemer Jesus redeems all of God's people. In First and Second Samuel, the, uh, the Davidic line begins. We're introduced to the life of David. The life of David. Uh, well, so first Jesus will be a direct descendant of the life of David. 
and also the life of David typified and foreshadowed Jesus. David was a literal shepherd. Jesus is the great shepherd. David delivered Israel from Goliath and the Philistines. This typifies the miraculous deliverance that Jesus provides. David also typifies Jesus as our leader and captain. First Samuel 22 says, Everyone who was in distress or debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their captain. In First and Second Kings, um, the glorious reign of Solomon during the time which he followed God typified the future reign of Jesus. Solomon built a physical temple. Jesus is building his temple, the church. In First and Second Chronicles, similarly, Jesus is typified by Solomon's glorious reign, wisdom, and the temple. And then there is also a prophecy that the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. In the book of Ezra, this man named Zerubbabel was in the Davidic line and a direct ancestor of Jesus. And there's, a, there's also a promise that God would not let the line of David be destroyed. And Zerubbabel is typified Jesus in the repair of the temple. Nehemiah, Nehemiah typified Jesus to the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. Themes of restoration. In the book of Esther, Jesus is typified in the life of Mordecai, or Mordecai, depending on how you say his name. Mordecai was kind, wise, he provided for his niece, or cousin, Esther, rather. The life of Mordecai typifies uh, many characteristics of Jesus. In the book of Job, there is a theme of intense suffering followed by great blessing. Very similar to uh, what Jesus endured and also what he uh, prophesied that his followers will endure. In the book of Psalms, there are many tidbits of prophecy and foreshadowing of Jesus in the book of Psalms. Uh, some of the key themes are that the Messiah would be the Son of God, the Messiah would be despised and crucified, the Messiah would be hated without cause, the Messiah would be resurrected, the Messiah would be seated at the right hand of God, the Messiah would be a priest from the order of Melchizedek, and the Messiah would be rejected by the Israelites. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, there are prophecies that the Messiah would be everlasting. There are prophecies that the Messiah would be the Son of God. And the wisdom of God that's recorded in these books of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes is exemplified in the life of Jesus. In the Psalm of Solomon, Jesus is typified in the bridegroom's marriage to his bride. In the book of Isaiah, there are many, many prophecies about the Messiah. One specific one is that Jesus would, that Jesus is for not only the Israelites, but also for the Gentiles. Isaiah 42, 6 says, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness, I will take you by the hand and keep you, and I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for all the nations. In Jeremiah and Lamentations, there are more prophecies of the Messiah, including 
that the Messiah would be the Son of God, that the Messiah would be a righteous branch, that the Messiah would be our righteousness. Jeremiah 23, 6 says, And this will be his name, the Lord is our righteousness, and the day that Judah will be saved, in that day Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. The fulfillment of this is reflected in 1 Corinthians 1.30, which says, It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is, our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Jesus is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. In the book of Ezekiel, there are prophecies that the Messiah would be a descendant of David. In the book of Daniel, there are many prophecies, uh, including that the Messiah would be a son of man, that the Messiah would have an everlasting kingdom, that the Messiah would be killed, that the Messiah, and, and also um, the dream that one of the kings had uh, reveals the Messiah and his kingdom as a stone that smashes the other kingdoms of the world. And Jesus is also typified in the fourth man in the, in the fiery furnace. In the book of Hosea, um, this book and this story written by Hosea typifies God and Jesus through Hosea's covenant faithfulness to his adulterous wife. In the same way, God was faithful to the adulterous um, Israelites, and Jesus is faithful to his church today. In the book of Joel, there are prophecies that the Messiah will offer salvation to all mankind. And also there's a prophecy that because of the Messiah, people will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In the book of Amos, there's a prophecy of the death of Jesus in chapter 8, verse 9. That in that day, says the Sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth while it, was, while it is still day. In Matthew 27, it says, At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. At about 3 o'clock, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Also in this book, there are there, um, there's prophecy of the circumstances surrounding the second coming of Jesus and the warning of judgment. In the book of Obadiah, um, the book of Obadiah does not contain direct predictions of the Messiah. Um, but there is a theme of divine judgment against those who persecute God's people and how God's people find ultimate fulfillment in, uh, in God and it points to the future of Jesus Christ. We talked about that this morning a little bit, how God was uh, persecuted, or the, the Egyptians were persecuting God's people and God was judging them. In the book of Jonah, Jesus is typified by Jonah being in the belly of the whale for three days and nights. Matthew 12:40 says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In the book of Micah, there are prophecies of the Messiah, including that he would be born in Bethlehem. In the book of Nahum, Nahum delivered great the news of, um, of the coming of God's judgment. Um, and, and Nahum uh, typified Jesus as Jesus being the greater prophet and how he will come again and judge the earth. But there's also a theme um, 
that God and Jesus, through Jesus, has provided a, a way to be delivered from this coming judgment. In the book of Habakkuk, Jesus is typified by Habakkuk's prayer and intercession for his people. In the book of Zephaniah, Jesus is revealed as a restorer. There are prophecies of the future kingdom and of future judgment. In the book of Haggai, or Haggai, however you say that, there's prophecy that the Messiah would visit the temple in Jerusalem. In the book of Zechariah, there are prophecies that the Messiah would be priest and king. There is a prophecy that the Messiah would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. There is a prophecy that the Messiah would be God and that he, he would be pierced in his side. In Malachi, the Messiah, or it is prophesied that the Messiah would appear at the temple. And there are prophecies of John the Baptist being sent first as a messenger of the Messiah. So I ran through all those uh, really quickly, um, just picking out some highlights. Um, but this, this kind of survey study of how the books of the Old Testament really are aligned, and, you know, you can read some really harsh things sometimes that happen in the Old Testament, and it, it can sometimes just make your mind spin and, and think, how, how, is some of, how is the God of the Old Testament consistent with the Jesus of the New Testament? But it's there. It's there. Um, the theme of, Jesus, of pointing to Jesus is there throughout the Old Testament, through all of it. Um, the, the Bible is unified in this way. And um, I was re-encouraged that the Word of God is His revelation to mankind. And the, uh, the most important theme for us to focus on is how the Old Testament foreshadows and anticipates Jesus, and then the New Testament reveals Jesus. So I just wanted to share that with you. It's a uh, work that God's been doing in, in my heart and mind, and um, it's helped me through some struggles, and so I hope it can be of some encouragement to you. Thank you for your attention.